Recording in progress. Great. Okay, welcome everyone to uh, the City of Alameda Planning Board um, on Monday, May 23rd, 2022. Uh, convening this meeting, we'll start with the flag salute. Uh, board Member Teague, if you could lead us, please. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, thank you. Uh, Alan, if we could have the roll, roll call, please. Absolutely. Uh, President Sahaba? Present. Cisneros? Present. Uh, Board Member Curtis has an excused absence. Um, Board Member Hahn? Here. Uh, Ruiz? Here. Uh, Rothenberg? Here. And Board Member Teague? Here. And we have six present. We have a quorum. Okay, great. Any agenda changes or discussion on that front, either from staff or board members? No agenda, agenda changes from staff. Okay. We'll move to the next item, oral communications. Anyone may address the board on a topic that is not on the agenda uh, under this item by raising your hands and you'll have three minutes. Uh, do we have any hands raised? We, have, we don't have any hands raised. No? Okay. Correct. We'll, we'll close that. We'll move to the consent calendar. We have one item on the consent calendar, item 6A consideration of general plan conformity for the vacation of an excess portion of Everett Street. Uh, President Sahaba? Yes. I, I'd like to pull that item. I'll explain my reasoning when we get there. Okay, let's pull that item off the consent calendar and um, bring it to the regular agenda items. All right, so why don't we, since we're out now on the regular agenda items, we can start um, with the item that was just pulled from the consent calendar. Uh, I assume this discussion will stay separate from item 7A, um, even though they're associated. So why don't we, Alan, do you want to, or will someone else be giving um, further insight to item 6A? From the consent calendar, or Alan, to, I, I, yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I don't know that we need staff to give a other okay. than to read the description of it, um, and then have a quick public comment that, and then I can explain why I pulled it as part of my commentary. Okay, that's that's fine. So, well, I'll just I'll just um, the the topic here. I'll just read out um, this is consideration of general plan conformity for the vacation of an excess portion of Everett Street approximately 116 feet northeasterly of Landing Avenue. Uh, the proposed vacation is exempt from the requirements of CEQA pursuant to the guidelines and, and um, because it can be seen with certainty that there's no possibility that the proposed street vacation will have a significant effect on the environment. Uh, I guess
Recording in progress. Any hands raised? No hands raised at this time. Okay, we'll close the public comment um, for that item. Board Member T. Yeah, I, I, I am going to move approval of this item. The reason I pulled it is because it is directly related to the next item. And it felt to me having it on the consent versus fully describing and saying, yes, this is related to the next item in terms of the parcel um, is just clearer that we're making a definitive action. Um, so that's why I pulled it. So I, I move to approve um, the draft resolution as written. Okay. Do we have any board member discussion or uh, second? I'll second the motion. Okay, thank you. If there's no further discussion, uh, let's go ahead and take a vote on the motion. Board Member Cisneros? Aye. Han? Aye. Uh, Sahaba? Aye. Rothenberg? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. And Board Member Teague? Aye. So that motion passes. Okay, let's <clears throat> move to uh, item 7A on the regular agenda. And this is a zoning text amendment. The applicant is um, Kiva Confections. It's a public hearing to consider a recommendation to the city council to introduce an ordinance amending uh, Alameda's municipal court section 30-10 to add the North Park Street Maritime Manufacturing District as a location where cannabis industry is conditionally permitted. Uh, is there a presentation from staff on this item? Yes, uh, Prince, I have a, my name is Alan Tai, City Planner, Planning Building and Transportation Department. I'll just give a brief oral summary of the um, proposed zoning tax amendment, um, which is an amendment to uh, Alameda Municipal Code Section 30-10, which pertains to the zoning regulations for cannabis businesses. Um, specifically, the amendment is a minor amendment to the list of locations where cannabis industry is allowed with a use permit approval. So specifically, the amendment would add the North Park Street Maritime Manufacturing District as a location where um, you can have cannabis industry under a use permit. Cannabis industry uh, refers to uses that include manufacturing, processing, and distribution of cannabis products. Uh, but not retail sales, which is defined and regulated separately in the zoning code as cannabis retail. So just make important to make that distinction that this is about the manufacture and processing. Um, from staff perspective, the proposed tax amendment makes sense in that the North Park Street Maritime Manufacturing District is intended for light industrial uses. Um, so the nature of cannabis industry from a land use pure land use perspective is really the same as any other light industrial use. The applicant making the request is Kiva Confections. Um, they make cannabis edibles and is known for chocolate bars with ingredients from the cannabis plant. They wish to relocate their operations currently in Oakland, Alameda. Um, there is a site within the North Park Street Maritime Manufacturing District that Kiva would like to relocate to. And if this text amendment is approved, it would allow Kiva to first apply for a conditional use permit and then subsequently go through the process of obtaining what's called a cannabis business operator's permit, which is regulated under another section of the Alameda Municipal Code. And so through those processes, um, the city may 
there'll be opportunities to look into the site specifics and the operations in further detail. But at this time, we're really asking the land use question. Should the city council approve an amendment that would allow cannabis industry with a use permit in the North Park Street manufacturing, New York Time Manufacturing District. And again, from a land use perspective, staff believes this is appropriate. And therefore we recommend the planning board recommend to the city council approval of the zoning text amendment. Um, with that, I could bring up the text amendment for all to see, and then I'd be available for any questions that you might have. So if I could share my screen. Uh, looks like sharing is disabled. So um, if that could be enabled, I could bring up the text amendment. Okay, there we go. Maybe I could zoom in some more. So under AMC section 30-10, there's a list of permitted locations for various types of cannabis businesses. And here we are specifically talking about the uh, locations pertaining to cannabis industry. And we are adding just a fourth bullet, the North Park Street Maritime Manufacturing District. And thank you. And I'm available for any questions. Thank you. Alan. Uh, if any board members have any questions uh, to clarify, Please raise your hand. We'll start with board member Rothenberg. Oh, thank you for the materials and the um, presentation. I, I only had one question in regard to the ordinance um, and per the draft resolution in the, in the original ordinance and in the second whereas, so I'm reading from it. It says, since 2017, the city has approved use permits for four cannabis dispensaries, two on Park and two on Webster, and one distribution facility, although AMC section 659.4 allows up to four manufacturing facilities to date, the city has not issued any ma manufacturing permits. So I just wanted to clarify per that um, text that it, this this would then fall into that one category. Is that correct? That is correct. So the, the four that we've approved are sort of the retail other category. And now we're talking about a separate category and a separate zoning designation. That is correct, board member um, Rothenberg. So uh, the Alameda Municipal Code treats cannabis retail dispensaries. They're called cannabis retail. That's a completely separate category. There were uh, four available opportunities and those four opportunities have been fulfilled. Uh, what we're talking about now is um, the cannabis industry category, which involves manufacturing distribution processing. So under the ordinance, there's still, is it, is it not, is it true that there's still potential to approve additional um, cannabis facilities, ma manufacturing or other within the scope of the ordinance? That, that is correct, Okay, but not dispensaries because right. we're done with dispensaries. We're only talking about facilities that, that process that ingredient. Understood, thank you very much. Thank you, Board Member Rothenberg, uh, Vice President Reese. Um, thank you for the um, information and just two quick questions. One is why wasn't um, North Palmerton 
maritime manufacturing included in the origin, original um, ordinance. And then second question is, um, in Kiva's letter, they mentioned a distribution center in Harbor Bay, but I was having a hard time finding it when I tried to Google. Do you know, can you um, give me the location of that distribution center? I believe it's on, uh, I believe it's on North Loop Road, although um, I would have to double check. North no. Loop Road? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a warehouse dis distribution facility. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find it when I tried to Google it, so. Yeah. And then um, I think, you know, the North Park Street Maritime Manufacturing District is really a small district confined to the North Park Street. It's a, it's a district of the North Park Street mm -hmm. area. And at that time, I um, we probably just staff did not believe that those sites were, were available. Um, the site that Kiva is currently uh, wishing to locate to um, was already occupied by a, a active business. So um, I think for those reasons, staff did not identify the, this district as a possible opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Board Member Ciceros? Yeah, thank you. Just um, a couple quick clarification questions. Um, uh, I should have uh, looked this up, but is there any like um, transit nearby the location, like a bus stop or being that's like um, walkable? Yes, okay. Yeah, I think there's bus stop, uh, there's a bus at uh, the uh, Bridgeside Shopping Center, as well as uh, a bus line that's, um, that goes up and down Park Street. So yes, okay. within walking distance. Okay, and um, it, the letter mentioned like um, incorporating like a ventilation system to mitigate with the smell. Um, so just wanted to like double check and underscore that there wouldn't be any kind of like odor from this manufacturing um, company. Like there shouldn't, like that's not really an issue. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would say at this point, because this is a zoning text amendment, just to decide whether this okay. district mm -hmm. is even an appropriate location, I think that mm -hmm. question um, will come up, and that it, it's a good question. It will come up, and there's opportunities to look at those details at the use permit stage, where we can also, where the planning board can also set conditions, and then staff would also be looking at that, uh, the the plan as part of the operator's permit. So there's there's several tiers of review processes before the business can actually um, open up. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Those are my questions. Thank you, board members. Board member Hall. Yes, thank you, staff. Uh, just just follow up uh, comment. I believe that the facility may uh, be subject to Bay Area Air Quality Management District uh, with the discharge and odor control. Uh, requirements that, that it would likely require an air quality permit. Uh, my main question had to do with the land use. Uh, I, I understand the proposal is really for manufacturing processing type of type of use in this district. Does the zoning ordinance that this doesn't just apply to this specific use, but uh, does that zoning district allow the, the discretionary approval process 
an accessory use such as a retail outlet? Uh, so that's clearly regulated in the um, cannabis regulations. Um, you would so so the idea that this is manufacturing and would have a small retail outlet that would not be permitted. Okay, not even as part of the use permit. Process. Correct. Okay, so it could be conditioned specifically to cite that requirement or restriction. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks, board member. Huh. Uh, I guess no other board members have any clarifying questions. So let's open this up to the public. If you'd like to speak on this item, uh, please raise your hand. You'll have three minutes. Could we have the first speaker, please? We do, Betsy Matheson. Thank you, good evening. I understand the North Park Street Maritime Manufacturing District is small. I would love to see a map of it, but um, considering you probably don't have one handy, um, could you please describe the east-west extent and then also the north-south extent? I imagine it going from the Park Bridge Senior Housing Complex to Rhythmics Cultural Works. And then in the north-south direction, is it only the properties that front Blanding or does it go farther south? Thank you. And I understand you can't answer questions, but it's not a comment, it's a question. Thank you. Well, Alan, if you want to answer that question, maybe that'll help the public if they have further questions on that front. So I just uh, shared on the screen a map of the uh, North Park Street MM zoning district. Okay, yeah, it's <clears throat> not light green, right? That, that's Correct. what defines it. Okay, thank you. Um, let's go to the next speaker. Uh, Craig Abruzzo. Hi, this, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good evening members. Uh, members of the board, staff, and guests. My name is Craig Abruzzo. I'm chief counsel to Kiva Brands, and thank you for your attention to this item. On behalf of Scott and Christy Palmer and Kiva's 400 employees, I am requesting your support for the proposed zoning amendment to permit cannabis manufacturing use in the North Park Street Maritime Manufacturing District, more specifically at the address located at 2421 Blanding Avenue in Alameda. Kiva was formed more than a decade ago with a mission to change how the world views cannabis. cannabis. Today, our award-winning chocolates, mints, gummies, and shoes are the most trusted, recommended, and sought-after edibles on the market. We are a cannabis edibles manufacturer, which means we are a food manufacturer, except for one very special ingredient. We will always comply with FSMA regulations and follow GMP. We do not engage in any cultivation or volatile or mechanical extraction. We do not keep cash on site, and we are not open to the public. Our manufacturing operations are currently housed in several facilities across Oakland. Unfortunately, we have outgrown the space in Oakland and the Oakland's unfriendly tax environment make it unsustainable for the growth of Kiva over the long term. Following the relocation of, our, of, of, of Scott and Christie's family to Alameda, they were inspired to move their entire operations of Kiva to Alameda as well. Two years ago, Kiva moved its distribution facilities 
to a facility at North Loop. It's 2300 North Loop, uh, where we have operated for two years without incident or complaint. Now, after a long exhaustive search and thorough consideration of other buildings, we hope to move our manufacturing operations to 2421 Blanding Avenue. Everything about this building is perfect. It's size, prior industrial use, and proximity to our distribution warehouse. Everything except that the MMNP zoning does not include cannabis manufacturing. As noted by the staff report, MMNP district is an industrial zone that is already, already allows light industrial uses such as food and beverage manufacturing. In fact, light industrial use is defined as processing of any article, substance, or commodity. We believe the production of edible cannabis products is absolutely consistent with the other light manufacturing uses permitted in MMNP and the surrounding neighborhood. Moreover, we plan to transform the building into a state-of-the-art food manufacturing facility with room to grow our expanding business. We will employ a professionally designed state-of-the-art security plan to enhance the safety of the facility and the surrounding area. And we plan to enter into an MOU with Alameda Point Collaborative to support a local hiring plan. As I mentioned, our current facility is in Oakland, and by moving to this location in Alameda, we will be able to retain most, if not all, of our current employees. This was the main driver of our efforts to remain in the East Bay. Many of our employees have been with us for over five years, and as any business owner can tell you, it is having the right people that is the key ingredient to success. We have that foundation and are eager to build upon it in Alameda. Authorizing the zoning amendment will bring substantial economic benefit. It is consistent with the general plan. Mr. Russo, you're, you're, you're out of time, sorry. Thank well, thank you. you for your consideration and, uh, to this matter. Okay, thank you. Uh, any other speakers from the public? No more public speakers at this time. No more, okay. We'll close this item for public comment. We'll go to uh, board discussions and motion. If you want to speak on this uh, item as a board, please raise your hand. Um, Board Member T. Yeah, I'd like to thank staff uh, for putting this together and Kiva for um, bringing this up. I was part of the discussions in regards to where uh, we should do all of the cannabis. And I believe that this was an oversight, mostly because this zone is so small that, you know, it was not even looked at because it is you know, it's like five parcels. Uh, and so I absolutely uh, recommend that the city council adopt this change to the ordinance. I, I make that as a motion. Okay, thank you. Any other discussion or seconding of uh, board member team's motion? I'll go ahead and second. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I was going to second. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> Vice President Reese, did you have other comments or no? No, I don't. Okay. Okay. Great. All right. We have a motion. We have a second. If there's no other comment uh, or discussion, um, Alan, why don't we take a vote? Sure. Uh, board member Cisneros? Aye. Huh? Aye. Uh, Rothenberg? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. Board Member Teague? Aye. And President Sahaba? Aye. That motion passes six to nothing. So that's a recommendation to the City Council. We will bring this item to the City Council for um, introduction of the ordinance at a later date. Okay, great.
Thank you. All right, let's move on to um, the next agenda item 7B, which is uh, the public workshop to review and comment on the April 2022 draft housing element and propose zoning code amendments to accommodate the regional housing needs allocation for 2023 to 2031 uh, in compliance with state law. I see um, Director Thomas popped up to have a presentation. Yeah, thank you, President Saba, members of the Planning Board, Andrew Thomas, Planning Building Transportation Director. Um, as you all know, but for the benefit of the public, um, we have been all working together with the Alameda community and the planning board um, uh, on the update of the city's next housing element. Um, this has been a, we've been working on this um, fairly consistently for the last year. Um, the planning board has been holding workshops almost on a monthly basis. On April 5th, we released a draft housing element for a 30-day public review period during that period. And since that release, the planning board, I think, has had two workshops. The historic advisory board has had, well, they've had two workshops. I think they were both during the 30-day period. Um, and the city council had a workshop. Um, and we received a large number of public comments and suggestions. Um, the 30-day comment period ended on May 9th. Um, we, in preparation for this meeting, we released a a, uh, a revisions list, which was made part of your packet tonight, um, proposed revisions to the housing element, which we believe um, bring it, um, improve the housing element. And when I say improve, what I'm really talking about is our goal here is to draft a housing element that is consistent with state housing law. The next step in the process um, is to send it to the state to see if we're right. Um, this is a process that is prescribed under state law um, as to how you have to do a housing element in the state of California. It needs to start with a 30-day public review period. You then need to consider all the comments received, make the necessary adjustments. Then you send it to the state to see what they think. When, that, when we hear back from the state and get their comments, the next step is to come back to the planning board. And, and then and only then will the planning board be in the position to make final recommendations to the city council. And when you make those final recommendations on the housing element, um, the idea is that you'll be considering the comments from the state and their comments on that draft housing element to bring it into compliance because all of our goals are to adopt a housing element that is compliant with state requirements. Um, at that point, and we hope that will be in September or October of this year, because the state will probably take 90 days to review the document. Um, then the city council, when they have the recommendations from state, HCD, and they have the recommendations from the planning board, then and only then will the city council be in a position to make some final decisions on this housing element. So with that, we are ready um, to send this document off to HCD for their review. Um, and tonight is really just a last chance for anyone to make any final comments. If you see any problems, any adjustments that you think we should make to the document before we send it off, um, tonight's workshop provides that opportunity. With that, I will um, conclude um, 
my presentation. Um, both Alan, Ty, and I are here to help answer any questions, as well as Linda Chen um, from the city attorney's office. With that, I will conclude my presentation. Thank you, Director Thomas. Uh, we'll go to board questions and clarifications. Uh, board Member T. Thank you. A Andrew, would you explain table one on page 36? Because I'm looking at it, you know, the numbers don't add up the way it looks like they should add up. And I, so if you would explain how those different numbers in terms of our arena and all of that, that would be fantastic. Um, this is an odd table. Um, it's required under state housing law. We've had the same, um, uh, we've had this, we've had to do this eight years ago. Um, it's essentially um, showing our quant, how, how, which programs will generate which type of units um, or our estimate of that. Um, so that's, that is what that table is supposed to, um, provide. Um, I don't find that table very interesting. Um, yeah. Cause it like adds up to like 9,000 units. So that's why I was like, it must be that don't do it that way. Well, um, there, it's not a cumulative table. Yes, that's that's probably why I'm confused. Yeah. So like um, the 2000 large site above moderate. Right. Like these are all it's 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 sort of a I, I to be honest, I don't have a great answer for you. Um, when you look at the 2012 housing element that we produced and was also certified by the state, I mean, essentially, okay. for example, well, I mean, we can talk about yeah. this. No, I got it. I so think is there a table then that shows how we're meeting arena in terms yes, of Yes, in in terms of the numbers, the most important table is in appendix E and Alan if you could help us out here on the way and there. It's on page E4. And it is it, this Appendix E, while Alan is trying to find that, Appendix E is the housing sites inventory. Can you just, can you just scroll up to the top? And this is a strikeout underlined version of the document that Alan's sharing. Just go up just a little bit further. Just, I just want everybody to understand. A little bit further up to the top, just so everybody sees the title of this appendix. Up, 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 okay. This is Appendix E, Housing Sites Inventory. This appendix is the most, if you're just interested in how do we get to 5,300 units, this appendix is the most important piece of this document. Now you can scroll down to the table on page E4, um, Alan. Everything up to this point describes what's in this table. This table, E2 is the sort of the, um, I would say the best is the summary table. So just there's, as what it describes here is there are projects that we know are coming. The first are the first 10 on this table line up to line 10, that equals 3,730 units. 
Then we have a whole bunch of sites that we are rezoning. They start with the shopping center, slow down, Alan. Then you get the shopping center sites. We have three sites that we are counting on to produce housing in the next eight years within those four sites. Those are approximately 1,200, those are 1,200 units. Very hard to read this version because of all the, we're showing all the adjustments we made since April 4th. And then we have sites on our transit corridors, Park Street and Webster Street. And um, those add up to 499 units. And then we have um, capacity in our residential districts. We're projecting over eight years, 400 accessory dwelling units, 270 infill units, which are not ADUs. And then we have two sites that we're proposing to rezone, 2199 Clement on the Northern Waterfront and um, the Mariner Square Drive site. And those two sites, 160 for one unit for one site, 125 for the other. When you add it all up, all of it, the projects at the top, the sites, you get to 6,384. That exceeds our number of 5353, 53, which is the next line down, the arena, by about 19%. Um, state HCD guidelines say you should get between 10 and 30% buffer. But when you read those guidelines closely, what they're really referring to is in the low and very low category. So if you go, thank you, Alan, you can see on the very low, we're exceeding by about 8% and on the low by about 36%. So I think in terms of the whole question about surplus and buffer, we, we anticipate that HCD will focus on those two columns. Okay, thank you. Of course, you. this I, is, you know, I just- obviously big, stop too soon. When I got to the appendix. And then just for the benefit of the public, Alan, if you'll just scroll down a little bit, just one more page, because there's a lot of important information there. Then this next table, E3, it gives you a ton of information about each of the projects. So project one on that table above is described here. Project two is described here. Much more information. Keep rolling down, Alan. Thank you so much. Just so everybody knows how this is structured. Um, so each of the 10 projects is described in more detail with a lot of specific information. It, all this information is required by the state. And then if you just keep scrolling down real quick, Alan, we'll just sort of give everybody a, make sure everybody understands how this document is structured. And this is all prescribed under state law, um, providing information about parcel numbers, acreage, density, status of the project, um, and then you can just keep going, Alan, real quick, all the way down. I just want to keep going. These are the projects, Alameda Point. By the way, the city council approved the term sheet for site A, so that's a major step in the right direction that we've talked about. And then these are the sites to be rezoned. The South Shore Shopping Center, can you just slow down a second? The, the orange boxes show where we believe the housing will occur at the South Shore Shopping Center in the next eight years. This is based on conversations with that property owner keep rolling. There's three shopping centers where we are very confident that we will get housing built. The second is the Harbor Bay Shopping Center. We've been in conversation with that owner. Next shopping center is Alameda Landing. Keep going. And you can see an orange box here. Oh, we it's need to fix this image. That. It's mirrored. That's Harbor Bay. Yeah, it's flipped. Just oh, it's that. 
<laughs> oh, you're yeah. right. That that it's needs to be fixed. <laughs> yep, it's it's rotated. And then at Alameda Landing, it's really down in this corner that we expect the housing to occur in the next eight years. Um, and then Park Street and Webster Street, we are focusing on sites where we have talked to property owners or they are literally vacant and for sale. So, um, and this, we think, based on these conversations with property owners, um, we can we can realistically expect almost 500 units. I think that's, I think everybody's got the idea here. Um, this is, thank you, Alan. Uh, board member T, did you have other questions about this? I know I went on probably much longer than you had hoped on this one. No, 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 I, I missed E for some reason. Uh, thinking that that other table was this. Yeah, I think, you know, we've, there's been a lot of communication in the community um, over the housing element, a lot of, a lot of back and forth emails. Um, I think there's a really, the big issue, everybody's focused on the RENA, the number 5,353. This appendix is, shows how we're meeting the RENA. Um, the other, the other big hurdle is the affirmatively furthering fair housing. Um, and that's where the measure A issue comes into play um, and all those questions. But Appendix E is the where you see the numbers. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Those um, are all my questions. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Board Member T. Vice President Reese. Um, thank you, um, Andrew. Um, just a quick question. I couldn't help but notice that the historic um, redlining map that was in a earlier version was removed in this latest iteration. Um, would you mind shedding some light, some light on why that um, redlining map was removed? It was previously on page 11. Yeah, I mean, we could certainly put it back in. Uh, what we did is, you, you probably noticed in the introduction, we moved a lot of that material right up front. And this was really a comment that came out from the council workshop, which really kind of struck a chord with us. Like, you need, and a lot of people were confused when they read the April 4th. And you'll see this in a lot of the blogs and the online communication. Like they didn't understand, a lot of folks were kind of like, well, what are you actually doing about affirmatively furthering fair housing? Like, what are you actually doing? Like we see the numbers for the arena, but what are you doing about fair housing? And, and so we wrote this new introduction. Um, and so we consolidated a lot of the information that we had sort of spread around in that new introduction. Um, you know, the map just didn't sort of feel like it fit right there. But if you feel the map is important, we absolutely can um, put it back in. I think it does tell part of the story. I mean, and I think, you know, this whole issue about affirmatively furthering fair housing, um, it's an interesting issue or, you know, it, it's really what the state is saying is like, you know, Look at your history, acknowledge it, and then do what you need to do to kind of, you know, make corrections and affirmatively take action to correct some of the mistakes you've made, have made potentially in the past. The redlining map, I think, is an excellent, excellent illustration of that. Alameda did redlining. A lot of our neighbor, all of our neighboring cities did it. Um, there is no, you know, we just need to acknowledge it and move on. And, and affirmatively take actions to sort of correct those 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 actions. Um, if if the board would like us to, uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to. We can easily 
add that map back in. Thank you. Thank you, board member Hom. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you, uh, Andrew, for this next, this draft that has all the revisions. I have uh, some questions. Some of it follows up from the extensive public comments that have been received on the housing element. And I do appreciate that you gave us uh, the whole record of, of comments since earlier this year, provides a good track record. But just following up on um, some of the comments that are reflected in the comments, um, there's one string of comments that seems to imply that by increasing housing density, uh, it would actually eliminate affordable housing, um, existing affordable housing uh, may have come up in the council meeting. I, I know there's state law that kind of govern if uh, even for by right housing restriction on removing affordable housing units. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Because that seems to be perhaps a misconception. Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, if I'm, there, there, there has been a line of argument that we shouldn't allow more housing in, in neighborhoods because it will replace affordable housing with market rate housing because developers will come in and um, tear down existing housing, kick out all the lower income residents and then replace it with market rate high rent housing. Um, there's a couple, we have a number of ordinances in place in Alameda that make that extremely hard to do from a regulatory standpoint. Um, and what we also know from experience is that um, that is a financially very difficult thing to do. And one of our best examples is the Murphy lot, which, some, you know, the, council, the planning board held a number of hearings. This was where they added four units on the tennis courts um, on, in East Alameda. Um, that development team came into us originally when they were thinking about buying that property. They came in and was like, hey, we're buying this entire tract of land. How many units can we get here? We, if we tear everything down and then build. And they were going through their density bonus calculations and they were coming up with these really large numbers, you know, just based on the acreage and the assumption that they were gonna tear down all the existing buildings. Um, you know, after about two meetings, they came back and met with us again. And they were like, yeah, we've completely changing our entire plan. It does not make any financial sense to demolish the 10 housing, you know, residential buildings that are out there today and deal with the relocation and all the issues that we have to deal with for the existing tenants. It makes much more sense for us just to keep all the existing housing and, and, um, just build on the tennis courts. And that's why the planning board at the end of the day only saw a proposal that was for the four or five units on the tennis courts. Um, you know, we, our residential districts are largely built out. There's very little, there's very little vacant land. There are opportunities we believe to add a few units here, a few units there, there's backyard space. There are large buildings that might have two units that we think could have three or four units. Um, we don't see, and we're not projecting in this housing element. 
over eight years, we're projecting maybe 270 units added on 2,500 acres, in which is our residential districts. I mean, that is a, it's, I think we were figuring out, it's like one unit for every 10 blocks. Like, we don't see that as a huge gain in housing, um, but we do think it's very important from a fair housing perspective. I mean, these are the neighborhoods where we have pro prohibited anything other than a two unit building for the last 50 years. These are the areas where we have essentially not seen any new housing units except for second units in 50 years um, because we prohibit multifamily housing, because we prohibit people from adding a third unit in a building, or we prohibit somebody with a 6,000 square foot lot from doing three units. Um, in one building. I mean, for 50 years, we have not allowed somebody to do a third unit in a building. Um, so, you know, really, I, uh, we're not, from staff's perspective, we just don't, we don't see any evidence that, that there is going to be wholesale removal of existing buildings and existing lower income housing um, and to be replaced yeah, by yeah. market rate housing. Yeah, so yeah, I appreciate that, Andrew. Um, related question that, I mean, there's a large number of comments that, from residents expressing concern about what they consider blanket increase of densities in the R2 to R6 districts and corresponding height limits too. Um, since the draft that was released in April, has there been any change in the, the current housing element regarding um, you know, densities, I'm, I'm losing track of uh, yeah. where, where that now stands. Yeah. No, I, I thank you for that question. Um, let me just walk through it very quickly, just because I do think there's there's a lot of material here. A lot of people are, are seem to be a little bit confused about what's going on. The R1 district, I'm just going to go, there's, there's six residential districts. The R1 district was upzoned by the city council three months ago for SB9. The only thing, and it allows four units per, per parcel. So that, that decision's already been made. The only thing this housing element is doing of any subs, of really substantive change for the, in the R1 is we're clarifying, if you wanna put all four of those units in one building, that's okay. We're not gonna force you to do two building, two units in one building and two two units in a second building. So we're, cause that would be, you know, under measure A and our multifamily prohibition, we won't allow more than two units in a building. So what this housing element is saying, no, no, it's okay. You can do three or four units in one building if you're already entitled to four units. So that's the only, you know. Change to R1. On R1. R2, the density and measure A is 22 units the acre. We're not changing that. But if you have a 6,000 square foot lot, that means you can get three units. So that density hasn't changed. But once again, we're saying in this draft housing element, if you wanna put three units in one building, that's okay. And we think this really fits into what people really actually want, which is trying to maintain the physical characteristics of those neighborhoods, which are not neighborhoods with multiple buildings on each lot. They're typically one building on each lot. So, so other the, than configuration, R2 doesn't increase the density over right. what currently allowed. 
And then in April, and then in terms of densities for R3, R4, R5, and R6, we have not changed that density or, you know, the, um, um, or the height limits for those districts since April 4th. Those districts, the height limit isn't changing at all from the existing height limit. So the height limits that have been in place in the R3, R4, R5, and R6 for the last 50 years are not being raised. There is an exception, but we are changing the density. So R3 would be 30 units the acre, R4, 40 units the acre, R5, 50 units the acre, R6, 60 units the acre, which reflects average densities in those districts today. And that was published on April 4th. We haven't changed it. Okay, okay. Last just the last thing that we have changed. On April 4th, we proposed a transit-oriented residential district. So everything within an eighth mile, and we had raising height limits and changing things. Um, I think we were proposing a 50-foot height limit. We met with the Historic Advisory Board. We met with the Planning Board, and we really talked that through with a number of different groups. And um, it just started to raise all sorts of interesting and, and unexpected sort of consequences. So we revised that. We also got a number of written comments about this idea. There was a lot of support about trying to encourage housing near transit. It was really about how to do it. So what this current draft that is before you and that we propose to send HCD says is, if you're within a quarter mile of transit, you should have be allowed, we should not restrict density. So like we're doing on Webster Street and Park Street, like if you can meet all of the development standards of your district, we're not gonna limit the number of units you can put in your building. Um, we are going to waive your open space requirements because we want to encourage small, oh, let me back up. The transit-oriented waivers that we're proposing, which are different than what we proposed on April 4th. We want small units. We want as many as possible near transit. So if you are within a quarter mile of transit, if the units that you are adding are 1,000 feet in size or less, so small units near transit. That's where our highest need is. Smaller, more affordable units. And where we most want them is near transit. So we're saying if you're gonna do small units and you're within a quarter mile of major transit, high quality transit, then we will waive your open space requirements. We will waive your density requirements. You do need to meet your height limit unless your height limit is less than 40 feet in height. The R1, it's 30 feet. R2, it's 35 feet. R3 is 40 feet. So basically, if you're in the R1, but you're right on a transit route or close to a transit route, you get a 40-foot height limit, which is 10 feet higher than you have now. If you're in the R2, it's five feet higher. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Just, just I know, get, get into the weeds, but I'll ask the question. Um, what if you're proposing a mixed project that has, say, 50% units less than 1,000 and 50% units over 1,000? How does the waiver of the density um, limit? You the have to have 100% written... 
units under a thousand. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, the way it's written, this waiver only applies if you're doing small units. Okay. 100%. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I'll just ask one last question. Thank you for the explanation, Andrew. That, that really helps clarify it. Um, regarding the shopping centers, um, I do see that Webster Street, you've now incorporated within, I think, between Central and Lincoln, that 40, I forgot whether it was 40 or 45, what a 15 foot step back mm -hmm. to allow up to 60. Uh, Park Street is consistent, 60 feet across the board. Um, the shopping center districts, did we eliminate the, or did the latest draft eliminate the densities? Yes. hundred years. So now it's just a height limit of 60 feet with no uh, density map. That's right. Just a, just a, there's, I know there's a minimum 30 unit per acre minimum. Okay. All right. Okay. Those, those are my primary questions. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, thank you. Okay, uh, board member Cisneros. Sorry, uh, that prompted just a clarification question for me. So um, are a lot of the newer developments near transit, like the average square feet happens to be about a thousand square feet? Um, like, do they tend to be like, not really family sized units, or like three or four bedrooms or more they're like studio and one and two bedrooms? I'm just trying to like just, you know, I, I understand the justification for um, the policy, but I was just curious, like how that tracks with how some of the proposals that are coming through and like what was actually being built here. It, it tracks pretty well with the built the projects that are multifamily. So um, if you look at those, um, the developments that you know, the Del Monte building, the, um, the Rap A building at Alameda Marina, the um, multifamily buildings that are being built at Alameda Point, um, some of the multifamily projects that we reviewed that haven't been built yet. It's the, the trend in the market on the multifamily is smaller units, but if the projects that are doing townhomes these then it's that is that is it's less true the townhome product that is being proposed in many of these projects when you when you see the townhomes those tend to be much larger units three four bedroom two car garage units um, and a lot of the zoning that we're talking about here especially on our transit corridors especially in our neighborhoods um, really the, the, the angle that is, that we're pushing here is we really, we're, we're looking for the smaller units. We're looking for the multifamily units. Those are the more affordable units. Um, we're putting a 30 unit, um, and a lot of the, um, transit corridors, we're putting the 30 unit minimum. What that's doing is a couple things. Number one, it's really sort of saying, no, this is not a place for townhomes. We're looking for something at a higher density, smaller unit. I hope that helps. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Um, board member T. Sorry, you, I realized that I do have some other questions. <laughs> Let me just, I'm gonna pull this. 
you're, you're not going to need to grab a drink, Andrew. In the, how did, on the page A3, when we talk about the 2021 stakeholder consultations, it, it seems like these are specific stakeholders, like the fair housing stakeholders. So is there a reason why we didn't like clarify that? And there's no reason, we certainly can, but yeah, you're absolutely okay. right. Yeah, that, oh, the that, only reason is that we got a letter that says, well, I or heard somebody said, but you didn't talk to ACT and you didn't talk to these in that they're not listed there. And that was the thing that I was like, okay, yeah, I see that. Uh, uh, on C7, table C9, we're really going to lose employed people by 2040. That, that was that just came as a shock to me as we're going to lose employment. So is that a typo? Is that real? What I that, that just seemed between 20. Off. I'm seeing what you're looking at. It's between 2030 and 2040. Yeah. Well, and between 2020, I mean, we're going to have 1,000, 1,100 less employed. Well, I mean, I'm just 30, 2020, 52,000 going up slightly by 2030, slightly more by 2040. We're talking about Alameda 24 City. is 51,390 versus 52,000 today. That's a loss of about 1,100, more or less. Yeah, I, we can go back and double check this. This is, you know, these are not our projections. These are straight from a bag. Okay, it just seems kind of wonky. Sorry. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I don't uh, really know. So what's then going on, on page C11, how did we determine that the units are simply vacant? Because I, I have to say, I have a unit that as far as the rent uh, board is concerned, it's simply vacant, but it's actually uh, being used as overflow because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so how did we determine that? Because I didn't get a survey. Yeah, I. it's a great question. I think this, but I'm glad you raised it. It's, I can have... I would have to check with our um, consultants who did this analysis for us, but this section jumped out at me as, as interesting. I don't know how they got this number, but the fact that there is a large number of units in our housing stock that are just plain vacant, not for sale, not for rent, just permanently or not permanently, but appear to be just vacant. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and I think, and the reason uh, I think it's, we did add in this draft, this idea, not as an immediate action, but something that we yeah. need to talk about um, as a community is, do we need to do something like a vacancy tax? Like, is this a big enough problem that we need to start thinking about things to try to discourage it from happening? I don't think we know enough yet about whether that's really necessary. Um, yeah, but it is... No, I, I, I'm not, it, it's the, it's simply vacant phrase stood out at me because 
you know, it's like, well, then how do we know we need to ask? There needs to be a survey. And I, and I didn't see that. So um, yeah. I, I can take a stab at that. I, I think it's based on the um, American Community Survey, which, you know, it's it's sent out to select select numbers of the population. And I think it's a detailed survey that might have a question specific to the different types of vacancies, but there's something we can look into. Okay. It looks like the source yeah. is the ACS. Yeah, and then on page C14, I, I think we should up, What is there a reason why we can't update the this to 2022 versus 2021? Because there the actually has rent. been a significant change. No, the rent. Average yes, rent. a little bit further down, Alan. I think it's the next yeah, that. It has significantly changed since there. I mean, it, it's weird, it, the, some of the changes. But the studios and one bedrooms and two bedrooms are much closer together than they used to be. Three bedrooms are ridiculous in terms of rent versus <laughs> fair market value. Um, the answer is... The short answer is yes. We can. Our consultants pulled this this information together with us. Um, they're they'll be doing a final review before we send it off to HCD. So, um, or anything that we want them to update or check. So we can absolutely. I'm meeting with them tomorrow, so I can ask them to. Okay. Do that. I, I just wanted to. That was a question as opposed to commentary. So yep. I really have ended my questions now. Sorry, I had a follow on. Okay, any other board members? Uh, oh, okay, board member Hall. Sorry, um, Andrew, I must have, may have misunderstood what you had explained, but when I look at, I thought you said that none of the densities in um, R3 through R6 was being increased. I see under program program four, kind of one of the bullets, kind of mentioned housing density, increase the permissible residential density in the R through R3 through R6 from 21 units per acre to 30 for R3, then 40 for mm -hmm. R4, 50. So are we actually increasing the densities or yes? What I said is um, and I'm sorry, I wasn't clear about that. Yeah, that was what I meant to. What I was answering was, have you changed anything since April 4th draft? And on that issue, no, we haven't, but that is an increase. Okay. So that has been the proposal to increase in those districts, the R3, the R4, the R5, the R6. Okay. Um, that's been the proposal for- Since April, yeah. Well, since at least April, yeah. Since at least April, yeah. Okay, okay. Thanks and for just clarifying on that. that, I mean, we we've done, you know, we've we've looked at densities around Alameda and block by block. I mean, those are densities that are very comparable to the existing densities in those districts today. Mm -hmm. You know, when when the city down zoned everything to 21 units the acre in 1973, I mean, it basically was taking blocks. They were already at 60 units the acre and saying, OK, from now on, you can only be 20 units the acre. Okay. Yeah. No. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. That's not that's a very important point. I mean, th those are definitely changing the 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 um, densities in those districts. Right now, every single one of them is twenty units the acre. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Board Member Rothenberg. 
Well, th thank you for all, all the thoughtful comments. And I think the draft is, is very good. And looking at the public comments, certainly you've made a, you've made a um, appropriate effort to incorporate. I guess one question I had um, related to board member Teague's comments about, you know, what exactly, is there any significant margin for error in how the counting was done? I mean, in R1. For example, if you if you if you did a any type of um, deliberate survey of the neighborhoods in the R one, there have been some at least observably in on the East End where I live in the mixed area. There've been some a lot of sales, and some of the houses have have flipped to investors. I'm nosy, so I always ask houses that were single family houses that are now. Um, not legally subdivided, but full of full of people uh, sharing or houses that are um, invested in but empty. There were two right next to me. So, you know, what how to count that or whether maybe it's an insignificant um, margin in terms of your total numbers that would be covered by the, the um, what you call the the buffer. But still. You know, if we're planning responsibly, how do we address those types of trends to make sure that our that our mission to provide um, to meet the state's requirements and also provide equitable and fair housing are met when you see those trends happen as part of the market turnover? Well, I think that's I mean, the, the best way we're going to monitor that is through our annual reports. I mean, we, we have to report to the state every year on how we are doing. Um, this housing element is set up so that we can fairly easily monitor not only how many units we're building each year, but where we're building those units each year. Um, and I think it'll be interesting, you know, jumping ahead, um, you know, two years, three years from from now, you're, the planning staff is going to be able to say, hey, we built whatever it is, 400 units last year, we issued building permits, and we'll be able to see, well, where did it happen in the shopping centers? Did it happen in the neighborhoods? Did it happen at Alameda Point? And if it happened at Alameda Point, but didn't happen in the neighborhoods at all, like nothing was approved in the neighborhoods, that's going to put the planning board in the position at that time to say, I think the first question will be, well, are we on track to meet arena? If we are, okay, great. No need to do anything. If we're not, if we're falling behind, it's going to put the planning board in the position at that time to say, okay, so where are the housing units getting built? Oh, they're getting built in the shopping centers. Well, that's great. But nothing is getting built in the neighborhoods. Well, that's not great because we need some housing getting built in the neighborhoods. Do we need, what are the barriers? What's happening? Why are they not getting built? Or vice versa. They're happening in the neighborhoods, but that's not happening in the shopping centers. So what, wh why is that? Um, and do we need to change something? Um, so, you know, these... The question's a great one. You know, how do we, you know, there's so many factors, right? I mean, the city can only control 
the regulatory barriers. I mean, that really, that's where, that's where our influence is huge. And that's where the state is saying, hey, city, you need to remove the barriers that are preventing you from achieving your, your arena. But what I think we all have to just acknowledge is even if we remove what we think are the barriers, there's so many market factors. There's so many market influences. There's so many individuals making decisions about whether they're going to invest in housing or not, whether they're going to buy property or not, what they're going to do with it. Are they going to keep their unit vacant? Are they going to rent it? Are they going to sell it? It's, it's, it's going to be a constant process of monitoring and hopefully it, making appropriate adjustments. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not worried about overdevelopment. I mean, I, it'll be a, it'll be amazing if the city can meet its arena over the next eight years because it is an incredibly aggressive aggressive target. I mean, we just met. We're meeting our arena for this current eight years. It's seventeen hundred units over eight years, and it feels like it's been a lot. So the next eight years is going to be, um, I think, a huge challenge. And I think all the city can do is put its best foot forward, do the best it can. And I think this housing element reflects a really good effort. We'll see what HCD thinks. And then I think we just, we, we roll with it year by year and we see how we're doing. We might need to make adjustments along the way. Okay, thank you. All right, if there's no other questions, uh, clarifications from the board, we'll open it up for public comment. If you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hand. You'll have three minutes. Uh, could we have the first speaker, please? Yes, we have Paul Foreman. Uh, good evening, President uh, Sahiba and Vice President Ruiz and board members. I'm not going to elaborate on my recent email to you. Uh, I think uh, you can fully understand it. Uh, but another issue that concerns me very much, uh, I need to talk to you about. The prior items on tonight's agenda ask you to adopt a resolution that will be final unless appealed to city council and to by formal motion recommend to city council the amendment of the zoning ordinance. This is your normal work. Contrast this with item 7B and the entire housing element draft review process where both planning board and city council agenda notices provide only for quote, review and comment, end of quote, which under the Brown Act and the Sunshine Ordinance precludes any formal action of either body and leaves the content of this statutorily required draft that will impact the city for generations to the sole discretion of city staff. You may provide individual comments and you have, but you are precluded from expressing a planning board formal consensus to be presented to a city council, which last met six days before the close of public comment, has not seen the amendments presented tonight and is not scheduled to meet again until after the draft is submitted to HCD. These workshops are nothing more than a charade 
to make the draft appear to be your product and that of city council when it is in fact in whole cloth a product of the planning department thank you thank you next speaker please We have Kellen Gauthier. Uh, hello, thank you for uh, taking the time. Um, I had uh, some comments slash questions. I, I know it's not a question format, but um, the city planner mentioned that a quarter mile uh, near transit was going to be adjusted for high density. And he cited the Park and Webster Street districts. However, Santa Clara Avenue is a transit zone with the 51 and the O. So. Does that mean that a quarter mile in either direction from Santa Clara Avenue could be affected as well, long-term? Uh, that was one concern. Um, and then the other one is I think what's on everyone's mind in Alameda, which is that we just need to have concrete, in, concrete infrastructure to get on and off the island in place before moving forward with any of these plans. Um, state requirements are all well and good, but Alameda is not Berkeley. It's not Oakland. We're an island with limited ingress and egress, and that has to be taken into consideration. That's all. Thank you. Next speaker. Okay, we have Donald Fletcher. Greetings, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Thank you. Um, it may be a little late in the game to bring this to your attention, but I felt it was important. Um, I've been following the housing element process for many months. And the one thing, and I appreciate all the work that's gone into it and the stamina and the demands that it's required of everybody. Um, the one thing that has been missing for me is a way to really visualize the zoning amendments and the impacts of the physical impacts um, when when they're applied at full capacity um, in order to really understand what's what is proposed for approval we really need to see sample drawings or mock-ups of various configurations that illustrate built out to the max allowable conditions um, i don't know what can be done at this point maybe it's food for thought for the next eight years i don't know or other um, similar kinds of deliberations, but um, as part of the housing element documentation, I'd really like to see sample drawings of, of various conditions that illustrate the, um, the, the, the physical impact of the zoning amendments would applied. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. We have Betsy Matheson. Thank you. I am one of 80,000 Alameda residents who are not considered to be stakeholders in the draft housing element. I voted for Measure Z and would again. Planning staff have known for more than two years that Alameda would not only have to meet its RENA, but would also have to affirmatively further fair housing. Staff emphasized again and again the pitfalls of not meeting the RENA. Staff have known that major changes related to Article 26 would be needed since they received a letter from HCD in November 2021. 
This spring, staff provided Alameda residents with an online housing element tool so we could pick and choose development areas and intensities to try to meet the arena. Doing so was fun and it was easy to meet the arena. The tool did not specify that upzoning of existing neighborhoods was a non-negotiable given necessary to affirmatively further fair housing. The draft housing element did not list R2 through R6 neighborhoods for upzoning until the staff report for the May 3rd city council meeting. The draft did not list R1 neighborhoods for upzoning until the staff report for the May 9th planning board meeting. This was after the final city council review of the draft meetings, um, the, after the final city council review of the draft and the last meeting before the draft would be submitted to HCD. The misleading emphasis on RENA continues to mask the ramifications of the need to affirmatively further fair housing. The title of tonight's agenda item is a case in point. It emphasizes RENA, 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 RENA. Stringing Alameda residents along from November to May before putting up zoning of existing neighborhoods into the draft is disingenuous. This major revision should have been incorporated into the draft months ago, should have been publicized and should have been included in invitations for public comment. And it should now be voted on or at least direction given by the Alameda City Council before the draft housing element is submitted to HCD for review and comment. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker, please. We have Carmen Reed. Good evening, planning board members and chair. Um, I uh, I appreciate all of your work uh, with this uh, with this very challenging situation and document. Um, so I just wanted to make a few comments, um, some 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 thoughts, and uh, and hopefully some considerations. Um, so it does seem that. If the city is uh, is tied to uh, this housing element document, then housing and transportation should essentially go hand in hand. So, um, so that really should be at the at you know at at the top of mind. And I I would I would suggest a creative approach that if the needs um, are uh, are more specific to smaller units. As, um, as board member Rothenberg um, noticed and how she mentions these, 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 uh, these overall trends um, where there's you know, several people living in one house, then you know, perhaps we should be considering smaller units, say 500 square feet within building envelopes and also recommending those smaller units in the highest transit areas closest to BART. So, for instance, you know, Park Street, Webster Street, um, maybe by Fruitvale. Um, so, those areas where it's it's easiest to get off of the of the island. And if one of our major concerns is also affordable housing, I would also suggest um, that it be included that twenty five percent of those uh, of those units in those highest transit areas be uh, be be earmarked for affordable housing. 
Um, another thought is regarding the um, the one quarter mile of the of the transit areas, particularly in the center of Alameda, um, as another gentleman mentioned, I do believe that that is too broad, um, that those neighborhoods are already dense and established, and um, then you know, creating much higher densities uh, in those neighborhoods, many of which are historical, could be, um, a, you know, could be detrimental to the character of those neighborhoods. Um, but I do recommend keeping open spaces within the R1 and R2s in particular, um, as, a, you know, as we all know that open spaces are, uh, are essential um, to the well-being of, of individuals. And lastly, um, just to reiterate um, what, Mr., uh, what Mr. Foreman mentioned, to, uh, that, we, um, uh, that the housing element really should go back to the city council for more public comment. And finally, I do support AAPS's letter and recommendations, and I hope that you will take them into full consideration. Thank you so much for all your work. Next speaker. We have Drew Dara Abrams. Hi, good evening, planning board members. Um, thank you as always for making a good faith effort to prepare a compliant housing element for Alameda. It's been good to see the fine tuning that planning staff consultants and others have made to this draft housing element. Uh, the, these refinements are really important to meet the parallel but distinct goals of meeting RENA numbers and meeting the AFFH requirements. Um, a side note that I think might be useful to mention is California adopted the AFFH rules after the Trump administration killed them at the national level. And so I, for one, am glad that our state has put these into our statewide rules and that now as a city, we can pursue uh, some of the fair housing goals of the Obama administration. Uh, I appreciate seeing especially program four, which opens the R1 through R6 zones to multifamily and similar types of housing by right with objective design review. And then the somewhat higher density and heights allowed near high quality transit. Uh, this will again allow some of the types of buildings that already exist here uh, that were built pre-war, but just can't legally be built today. Um, totally understand that you know, there's the economic factor here. We don't know how many of these will be built as the planning director was saying, but I for one as a resident um, in the East End um, will be very curious to see what becomes possible. Uh, and you know, unfortunately we're going against economic headwinds. So uh, with the, just the, the high cost of land, the high cost of labor, um, but I think these zoning code amendments that are being proposed here or that will, that will follow for R1 through R6 could unlock some interesting uh, opportunities for units of all sizes and uh, homeowners of a wide variety of income levels. Uh, finally, I'm, I'm glad to see uh, some uh, compromises being reached with regards to um, height limits on Webster uh, and also working with the school district uh, it's really good to be able to uh, build out to allowable height limits on Webster and look for ways to work together with the school district to um, uh, make use of sites. I hope that um, 
that Thompson Field site may come back in the future and that big, with all due respect, ugly warehouse next door that is on the same parcel and that the school district does have flagged for being replaced in the future. Um, so thank you again for taking so many months of uh, these types of finely detailed comments. I'm very glad to see the changes that have made their way into this draft and uh, hope it will receive a positive review by HCD. Thank you, next speaker. Okay, Zach Bolick. Evening planning board. Uh, first off, I just want to thank staff and um, all of you on planning board uh, for all of the workshops and taking in comment on this issue and uh, sending it back and forth with staff um, and for staff for taking in all the comment that they received from the public and really coming to a good place with our housing element. Um, I think uh, I've been to at least seven of these housing element meetings and workshops in different communities across the state. We have a uh, a fair housing element watchdog group where we keep an eye on cities to make sure that they're passing fair and achievable housing elements. Um, and I, I really wish that ABAG or HCD would have awards to give to cities that take the responsibility for this process with the seriousness that it really deserves. Because I think Alameda would be probably up there for um, how diligent they've been at, at coming up with a good housing element. Um, there are two goals with housing elements. Uh, first, you've got to meet RENA, and then you've got to meet a further furthering, affirmatively furthering fair housing. Um, and they're two separate goals, and we have to hit them. Um, how you can meet them can overlap, but HCD was pretty clear in the letter that they sent us of what we have to do. And they told us that our density restrictions and exclusionary zoning is a barrier to fair housing. So we have to do something about that. And this housing element does that. Having read dozens of HCD rejection letters in Southern California, I'm glad that we took this seriously and that we didn't try to squirrel something through or come up with some way of weaseling something that wasn't efficient or sufficient. So um, that's most of my comments. I've, I'm happy where we are with the housing elements that they, uh, where we've landed. Um, I think we've done a good process. We followed the law everywhere um, with taking comments. So um, I'm really happy. So thank you. Next speaker. Okay, we have Christopher Buckley. Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. Uh, first would like to note that most of the written comments we submitted on May 8th and May 9th are not in, reflected in the May 23rd draft. We weren't pr pretty much surprised by that, but uh, wanted to let you know. Uh, next. I should tell you that we were that we were surprised that the May 16th revisions reverse some of the density moderating changes in the initial list of changes considered by the planning board at its May 9th meeting and add new provisions that further increase density through various forms of additional upzoning within all of the residential districts. We've already stated that the previously proposed residential upzonings appear unnecessary to meet the arena. The May 16th revisions increases this overkill to an even higher level. The magnitude of the revisions also appear unnecessary to meet state fair housing requirements. We have not been able to find anything in state law or published HCD guidelines that mandate such sweeping and indiscriminate upzonings everywhere. We have started to review HCD certified housing elements from Southern California and have so far not been able to find any that call for this degree of upzoning to meet fair housing requirements. 
we had been assuming that the expanded ADU program and the SB9 changes, uh, as well as more density in the shopping centers and commercial districts, would pretty much satisfy fair housing requirements. Um, several specific comments. Uh, first, on the transit, uh, well, let me back up for a moment. Um, clarifying a couple of comments that Director Com Thomas made concerning changes to R1 and R2. Uh, keep in mind that the new provision to allow unlimited density in any existing building also applies to R1 and R2. So that is a density increase. Second, within the transit-oriented zone, the unlimited density applies to everything, not just the projects that provide only 1,000 square foot units. Now, turning to a couple of other specific points, uh, first regarding the transit overlay, uh, we're suggesting that if the transit overlay is really needed to meet the RENA and the fair housing rules, it should be as a pilot program first applied only to important nodes and to existing buildings rather than to new buildings and properties fronting the transit corridor itself rather than within a quarter mile or one eighth mile. And also suggests that you use our previously recommended ADU program as an alternative to state density bonus law projects. Second, um, involving uh, exempting adaptive reuse of existing buildings for residential purposes from residential density limits and open space standards in all residential zoning districts. We have indicated interest in this approach in the past, but had recommended applying it only to the extent necessary to meet the arena and or fair housing requirements only in targeted areas, setting the limits on number of units on the lot rather than allowing an unlimited number of units. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. We have Alex Spare. Okay, Alex is um, using an older version of Zoom and uh, it doesn't seem to uh, be working with our session here. Okay, uh, well, we could, <clears throat> I guess if Alex is able to download a, a newer version, then maybe we can get back to Alex. Well, I'm not sure if we'll be able to. Did, did Alex also supply any public comment or written, written comment, I should say? Does anyone know? We, we could promote him to, um, we could promote Alex to a, a panelist. That would be one workaround. Oh, okay. Please do that. Uh, please unmute yourself. You'll be able to speak. You'll have oh, hi. Sorry, I was just trying to log on to a different machine. I didn't realize this one had an older client. I should have. Um, my name is Alex Spare, and um, I was curious as to what people who don't sit on planning board meetings every day um, for all the meetings and whatnot think about this kind of process. So I ran a survey in a random Alameda group, and I was actually really surprised at the results. Um, the top vote was that people wanted housing to be distributed fairly across the island. That was 89 responses. And the second highest was they wanted upzoning in shopping centers, 59. 
and 35 went to Upstone Webster and Park. 34 went to Upstone Bay Farm. 23 went to um, build on the golf course. I didn't actually put that one in myself. Uh, 17 went to Upstone existing apartment buildings. Um, 11 didn't want any more housing. Um, eight went to go up, not out. And four went to go out, not up. But I guess, I don't know, they liked all the others better. So I thought that was interesting that people do want housing. And I'd like to encourage you to have the higher um, height limits, since I think in some areas of Alameda, that would be entirely appropriate. Um, you know, have the luxury, I don't know, a shopping center, uh, condo view of the waterfront or something. And along with some nice, you know, smaller apartments below and whatever. And thank you for all of your hard work. Okay, uh, I believe this will close the public comment period for this item. Uh, we could now go to board discussion and recommendations. Uh, if you'd like to speak on this, please raise your hand, uh, Board Member T. I'd like to thank everybody for all of their comments, staff for this. I, Andrew, you will be happy to hear I will not spend uh, more than just a minute or two on Measure A. Um, unfortunately, until I hear the city attorney's office say, yes, we fully concur with staff's overriding it, I'm not going to be able to vote for this, which depresses me. Um, so really the big issue with Measure A is the 2,000 square feet because everyone who's building a five unit or larger automatically almost gets the density bonus for the waiver of the duplex. It's the 2000 they can't waive. So changing densities is indeed how you do it, less than the changing the type of housing. So now going, I'm gonna skip everything talking about multifamily, Andrew, and I'm gonna talk about other comments. So you can tune in now. Uh, I know you tune in otherwise. Uh, on page 14, uh, H13, it's interesting that we, and it's sad, interesting and sad, we, the last part of H13, and other standards that increase the cost to construct housing, we want to eliminate these barriers. And of course, the very next item is universal design, but we want you to do universal design that everybody is telling us is too expensive to do. So we need to figure out some way to make universal design work without it being this cost to construct housing issue. Um, I don't know how we do that, but it's that is something that we really need to look at. Uh, I talked about the prolonged vacancies. So on page 15 uh, on H19, you, you should probably delete and prolonged vacancies from that item because it's covered in H22. On page 19, uh, throughout the document, we have the, you've copy and pasted the, the zoning amendment should be adopted prior to the start of the planning period. And then you had January 31, 2023, and you crossed it out in many places. Well, you didn't cross it out here, you have it twice. 
So somehow that needs to be corrected. Can you just repeat where that was? Uh, page 19, uh, program three, the end of program three. Got it. Okay. Uh, page 20, uh, the housing density section. Um, we shouldn't say increase the permissible residential density in R3 to R6 from X in R3 and Y in R4 and R. And we should just say increase the density from, you know, two, oh, from 21 in R3, X in R5 and X in R6. We don't have to have the in the R3 to R6. Additionally, it doesn't actually make. Oh, I, I get it. Yeah, that's cleaning that up. Um, I am not in favor of a quarter mile. I, I'm really, it's like on the, on the route is what I'm in favor of. Uh, I've said that, that's fine. Um, I already brought up why the quantitative objectives table is super confusing. If we could add something that would make it less confusing, which there may not be such a thing, that would be awesome. Uh, I brought up the 2021 stakeholders to clarify, you know, we're really talking about the fair housing stakeholders. Um, on Appendix B, we talk about what we did to address things and on B1, and we bring up the universal design ordinance, but we don't ever talk about how Everybody's trying, not everybody, but there are a lot of people that are asking for waivers on it. Um, and that's something that we seem to be not mentioning. And I think we should mention it because it's true. Um, I wish it was something other than that. Uh, throughout the document, like on page B9, we talk about the rack. Well, the rack ceased to exist a few years ago. So it's really out of date uh, and we don't, it's like you read it and you go, okay, you don't really know what we've done. Uh, who this, this wasn't updated. Maybe it was copy and pasted from something else, but the rack doesn't exist. That's not what we do. 2019, you know, has changed to a hearing officer, a whole variety of things, but there are many places where we talk about the rack and really uh, we should fix that. You got it? Yep. Okay. Uh, I already mentioned the reduction in employment, which is weird. I mentioned the, how do we figure out the vacant? Um, on C14, we also have the, the rack right before the average rent where I talked about updating it. And it's like, it comprises members of this. You know, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't exist. So it's way out of date. Um, on page D2, there's also a paragraph that's seemingly pretty out of date, uh, which is the um, thing that basically says we should enact just cause and we should enact rent control. Um, maybe this is meant to be historical and so therefore that's why it was there. I, I don't know, it just seemed not to be following what we need. Um, that was on page D2. E2, under outreach, the first paragraph of outreach. 
Got it. Yeah, yeah. You we know, we did make those adjustments in the programs, but we thank you. Didn't this this got by us? Yeah. So you know, fixed I, that the program. I love so much about this, Andrew. You know, I think that I was like, just summarizing stakeholder outreach. That that first paragraph about the, what the city steps that the city should take. But we'll we'll revisit it. Okay, it should just be clear that we did do things. You know, it's like it, it kind of talks about things that we should do, which we have done, uh, and that's where yeah. I was. Yeah, no, that 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 little that section needs a little updating. Yep. So thanks, Andrew. Thanks, staff. I I appreciate it. Thank you, Board Member Teague. Thank you. Uh, board member Rothenberg. Just uh, um, to one comment to concur with board member Teague's two of his comments I thought were have a great deal of merit, the updated data, of course, in the tables, but also the comment about universal design, both in the reference on page 14, number 14, and otherwise in the document, I realized that uh, the city ordinances would have a, a uh, requirement for universal design, but it, cost is not the only consideration in universal design space, and there is space and other site-related issues. So perhaps the, um, the, the final review could take under consideration whether that section might say wherever possible, instead of making it a... Um, you know, without which none type of requirement for all new housing, because if there's a trend in requests for waivers, I would wager, even though I'm not a betting kind of gal, I would wager that it's because it's, it, it, it can be over and beyond the minimum requirements in Title 24 Part 2 and um, Section 11B and it, it Although uh, we could do better than the minimum codes, our codes are pretty good. And so we should, we should provide or incentivize our developers to achieve our ordinance without making it a uh, absolutely um, conditional requirement for all new housing because it just may not be physically achievable within all of the other things you want to do. And thank you again for really excellent discussion, comments from the public and our board members, and your uh, really your wonderful um, responses to the public, Andrew, which really explain in a very straightforward way the things we're trying to achieve. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Vice President Reese. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for your hard work. And um, I, again, this is a a lot of work in spanning two years. And so I want to thank you for your effort. And I noticed that, um, first of all, I want to, yes, I did notice that we added in the um, beginning of the housing element, the affirmatively furthering fair housing um, paragraph and also um, the public review process. I think it's important to have those in there as preamble. Um, I would like, and um, Alan, thank you for pointing out the, the map that's added in this um, section um, D9, that map, I think it was 
figure D9 that shows uh, the historic redlining map. Um, it's just in a different form, so it's a little bit difficult to decipher. Maybe a reference to that would be helpful. Um, a few more comments, um, just um, when you get a chance, look under um, paragraph, um, actually it's H10, about what? Um, that's in the beginning of the, let's see what section is this under? Education campaign. Yes, um, I think the second to the last bullet has a little bit of negative and political charge. It's a negative connotation. It can be potentially political charge. So look into framing it differently. Yep. No, that, and, we can definitely do that. Yeah, and then um, what's the other one now? This is old. And um, I agree with one of the earlier comments from the public about all the diagram, all the figures in um, Appendix D. When we mention how between opportunity sites, the dots or the circles should be proportional to the number of units because not all sites are created equal. So some dots will be a little bit bigger and some dots will be a little smaller. You know, it doesn't have to be a precise science, but it should reflect. It gets a little messy, but I think, and then I noticed that most of them have a one color dot and yet on uh, figure D9, it's stars. So like, okay, why change? <laughs> so just kind of, um, and there's one more thing. Um, and I understand it's difficult to address all the comments and there's reasons on some why when, um, why some of them were not addressed. Again, it would be helpful to let us know why some weren't addressed. And um, going back to table D1, I still think having a late legend for table D1 is, is it would be helpful to clarifying um, some further questions and you know probably save you having to write long explanations in responses as well if you just simply if we simply add a legend to it. Um, again just in general it goes without saying any tables or uh, figures if we have to stand there and explain it then we need to do a better job in uh, explaining the table like the one that uh, we'll remember T point out. Mm -hmm. yeah, that can be helpful. That's all my comments. Again, thank you for your work and for the public for their thoughtful comments. Thank you, board members, sisters. Yeah, uh, I appreciate um, my fellow board members for their comments and to the staff and the public. I'm, I'm really excited about this draft of the housing element. So um, just very appreciative. Um, of all the work that's been done to get us here. Um, just echoing uh, the need to um, incorporate the latest data information, for example, um, the latest point in time count, I think in um, the appendix, um, it was referencing 2019. I know, the, I think it's just the top line numbers that just came out, but um, to the extent that we could um, update that, um, that would be great. And on the topic of homelessness, I mentioned this at the last meeting and um, I'm okay with keeping the third goal as is, but I don't love it where it's end and prevent homelessness in Alameda when um, we know that the issue um, goes beyond just the housing framework. That's certainly a huge part of it, but there's also the 
the lack of income for the those who are likely to become homeless. Um, there's not enough jobs. Um, you don't have uh, wage equality. Um, there's the history of racism. So there's a lot of factors and issues related to ending and preventing homelessness. So I wonder if we could reframe to like helping to end preventing homelessness or, or something to that effect. Um, I might've overlooked this and I, I should have asked this in the question portion, um, but I think it was, uh, what's that? It was an H8 or something. Uh, I'm not sure where, but um, when it comes to like waiving impact fees to help streamlining, do we have waiving um, impact fees for affordable housing projects? We do? Okay. We, we waive our, our citywide development impact fees for all affordable housing projects. And uh, we also waive it for accessory dwelling units. Is that right, Alan? Yes. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And for okay. accessory dwelling units, we are proposing to waive it from the improvement tax requirement, which is a local requirement. Okay. All right. Thank you. Just want to double check um, that. Um, and then for H8, uh, we're also including program EIRs as um, part of that streamlining effort. I just want to. Yes, we can, yes. we should. Maybe if that's already applied in there, we just clarify that. Um, well I think it doesn't hurt to add it. it mm -hmm. It's completely consistent with what that bullet is saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then in that table, I noticed the, the site inventory table. I think it says 400 ADUs. And earlier we talked about 560 ADUs with the 70 anticipated um, annually. So I think that's just like, I don't know if um, I'm reading the table wrong, but if that's um, a miscalculation, maybe just double check that. Yep. And make sure yeah. are correct. Um, and then uh, I did just want to respond to some of the comments that were brought up uh, in terms of uh, like the vacancy, I think um, I appreciate uh, board member Rothenberg's comments on, on that. And um, I uh, am curious um, about how we could uh, leverage the rental registry um, and maybe use that to like, as a survey to reach out to landlords to really help um, track the vacancy or I think that's just a good idea, um, what board member Teague said about being able to verify those vacancy rates. Um, and on that theme, can you just remind me uh, for our SB9 legislation, do we have owner occupancy programmed into that? No? no okay. Not, I, I'm right about that, right, Alan? The SB9 amendments that the council just approved, there's no owner occupancy requirement. Uh, there's a pledge that the it's owner occupied for three years. I think that's that's a uh, state state required. But I I think they allow local agencies to adopt that, but I think it's to our discretion. So I just wasn't sure if that was already um, 
part of the, the ordinance, SB9 ordinance. So I, I say that just because that could maybe help mitigate um, investor speculation and just, just this issue of- um, Yeah, I mean, both the ADU state law and the SB9, now that you, rem you remind me, they both had language in the state law to essentially try to mm -hmm. mitigate that. You know, mm -hmm. th these were laws that were passed at the state level not to encourage you know investors from buying up property and redeveloping but to really remove barriers for homeowners mm -hmm. yeah and so, yeah maybe it's just a consideration um for us to think definitely. about and um then uh, with to the public comment about us having an award for our efforts there is the hcd pro housing designation and i did send that um to the uh, to staff and I think it's worth looking at the checklist and maybe for us to even pursue it. So, um, yeah, I guess it just shows how much of a great job, <laughs> like we're, we're, we're trying very much. Um, and then finally, I did also appreciate the public comment about visuals. It's really hard to understand what 30 buildings per units per acre is and 60, you know, billion units per acre. So I, perhaps an upcoming workshop or community meeting, um, that's something we could try uh, to to uh, share with the public. And those are all my comments. Thank you. Thank you. Board member, huh? Thank you. I, I echo all the other board members' comments. Uh, I think this has been a long, intensive process, and it's been an effective one. Considerable public comments. I know a lot of staff and consultants have put a lot of work into this. So uh, much appreciated. I think the final draft is uh, reflects the various comments. And I know the comments are quite polar in some ways, you know, they've been very much uh, against, you know, increasing density at the same time, you know, I know there seems to be an overemphasis on arena, but arena is really driving so much of this where we, we the city just like all cities have to accommodate two or three times the number of housing units in this uh, housing element. So that challenge and challenges having to, to search out for areas where maybe if there were a fewer number of units, the city would need to be as an ag aggressive. Um, I think this is a good balance. I, I really do think that the economics of seeing a wholesale change, just because you're allowing higher densities is in most, 90% or 95% of the areas, whatever that percentage, Andrew, you come in it, I think you know, majority of the city, large majority will still be unchanged. Economics are just not there. And there are, there are state law requirements about replacing existing housing units that prefer provide further constraint economically to developers too. So um, I really think that many of the comments are, ba are based on concern about compatibility um, of the heights and the densities. And, and, uh, and there were some examples that showed some pretty bad comparisons of uh, projects that may have been built that were already plain. I, I think that in the future, when these projects come up, um, perhaps as a matter of taking another look at the, the um, design standards uh, and seeing if something needs to be added to further ensure that these higher density projects are higher higher, taller buildings or will be compatible with the adjacent uh, lower density type of project. So I think that can be achieved uh, 
from a design perspective. So I think those comments are valid and could be addressed further. Um, kind of building on what board member Sonaris was mentioning, I really think the visuals would also help too in two ways to help people when you do the zoning changes, the visuals could really help to explain number one, this is the existing, this is what the proposed change and putting in context of the existing developments that Andrew, you mentioned that a lot of the projects are already at these densities. So it sounds really extreme, but when maybe putting in proper context with existing development, what their densities are, that might provide a better perspective for everyone on what these increased densities actually mean. Um, I'm interested in hearing more about what's going on with the shopping centers. I know there's a lot of buzz in particular in the neighborhood where I live about uh, proposals that are coming forward. Um, so I'll be interested to hear more about that down the road. Um, I do like that you included uh, in program two, re-looking at the uh, density bonus percentages for moderate, low, and very low. Uh, I, I know there's a serious need for moderate income housing also, but uh, it seems like if we had to emphasize some over others, you know, to me, I'm very much concerned with the lack of low and very low income housing in our community. And those are very challenging numbers to meet. Um, let's see. The, the other comment was about, um, what about submitting a more conservative housing element and forcing the hand, so to speak, of HCD to come back to the city and say, you need to do more. I think that may be kind of backfire, quite frankly because it'll show that the city is kind of forcing the issue. And um, I think we need to go in with our best footing and propose what we think uh, is needed to meet our housing, not, despite what other cities may have done. Every city is slightly different in how they can meet the arena numbers. So just because some cities, as some cities doing what Alameda's doing doesn't mean that we should just pull back and force HCD to, to tell us. I think that will just lengthen the process and may lead to results we didn't want to anticipate. Um, and the final comment I had was regarding H23. I'm, I saw this added about, seems to be punitive against HOAs if they um, do not cooperate, I, I suppose, with uh, accommodating more housing. I'm not sure, I don't know how the city attorney feels about that come. Obviously it's been reviewed, but I'm just wondering how that would truly be implemented if, if you know, push comes to shove when a situation like that comes up. Anyway, those are my comments, but I, I generally I applaud um, the really great work that's been done to get to this point to submit the housing element to HCD. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just add some of my comments. I, um, I really appreciate the level of public engagement that we've seen. I'm not sure what level of public engagement was in the last um, round of uh, eight years of uh, setting the stage uh, previously, but this, um, this level of public engagement is great. Uh, it's, it's really good that um, the folks in the community are really trying to understand uh, what this means and how to anticipate the future of 
of the city. And I really appreciate that um, Director Thomas and, and staff and, and all the members have really tried to think through um, everything that's been presented and coalesce it into something that can be sent across to the state for, for review. So um, I think my board members have touched on a lot of the specifics, which, which I um, appreciate as well. So um, I guess at this stage, we'll wait to hear the feedback that we receive once the, the, the report and the letter go into the state. Yeah, may I just have one last minute and then I'll yeah, sure. let, let it, and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, just in terms of next steps. So we're gonna um, keep making these, first of all, thank you for all the comments tonight. You've pointed out a number of things that we need to continue to clean up um, before we send it off. Um, we will make those changes and then send it off. Um, we don't expect to hear back from the state. Um, they under state law have to, respond to us within 90 days. Um, we're not expecting much of a response until the 90 days. So we'll try to reach out to HCD during the 90 days, try to get some early indications if they have concerns. But um, what that really means is um, we expect that we will have a letter from them in late August. As soon as we have that letter, we will make it public. We will also begin analyzing it at the staff level so that hopefully first meeting in September for the planning board, we can present you with a staff report that includes the letter from HCD and includes the changes that we think we need to make to the housing element to address any HCD comments. Um, in the meantime, um, while we're waiting for HCD, our plan is to come back to the planning board next month um, to keep talking about the zoning changes. We have continued to refine and work on those as you heard from a lot of the speakers. Really what people are very interested in is the zoning changes. And that's really where the rubber meets the road. And so our plan is to meet once with the planning board in June and once with the planning board in July to keep developing those zoning changes using our best thinking with your best thinking and input from the community about what makes for the best zone set of zoning amendments. Um, so that when we get the letter from HCD in late August, September, we'll, we as a, with you plant staff and board will be able to think about, okay, what changes do we need to make to the housing element? And how do those changes, do they also require that we adjust something in our zoning? So that essentially we have a package of general plan, housing element and zoning that works together is well synced up. So that puts you in the position to make a final recommendation on the whole package to the council, hopefully in October is, is the schedule. So um, with that, I'll wrap up. Um, once again, thank you. I know this has been a long haul when I think back. I mean, these conversations really started in, 2019, when we started doing the land use element and talking about shopping centers and transit corridors and where we're going to put housing. And it's really been a nonstop conversation for the last four years. Um, so I, and I, and this planning board has done all the heavy lifting. So 
We got the general plan adopted in 2021. That was a huge accomplishment. This housing element is a bear. There's no doubt about it. It's a lot of work, but um, you know, when we hear back from HCD, we'll know. We'll know whether we're close or not. So thank you so much um, for all your time and energy on this. And thank you for all the comments tonight. All right, thank you. Uh, that concludes our regular agenda items. We'll move on to the minutes. Uh, we have three minutes to review. Um, we'll take each one um, and then open it up for public comment after any board comments there are for each one and then make a motion on, on each um, meeting minute. So start with the first one, which was the draft minutes for Monday, February 28th, 2022. Uh, does, does any board members have any comments? Okay, uh, board member Ruiz. Um, I have a comment on page um, five. Um, I think I also added um, under my comments, it's consider, I also asked to um, the teachers, Anyway, my notes says consider the balance of open space and the retail use between block 10 and future phases. That was the comments that I specifically said and was not including in the meeting minutes. Then to be added to it. Okay. Uh, board member T. Yeah, I I wasn't there. I just asked have a uh, Alan, there's a comment that says all calls for review need to be submitted in writing for the AMC. Is this a change to the AMC, a new interpretation of the AMC? What section of the AMC is that coming from? Uh, it's actually in the AMC. We, I don't think this this was just uh, brought to the board's attention all this time. Um, there, there was not a recent. I don't believe there was a recent change that um, the 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 question came up. Um, from one board member wanting to call an item for review. And as part of that, I just explained that um, we should follow up with a written um, justification, so. Okay, can you send me what section of the AMC is that? Uh, yes. Appreciate it, thanks. Okay, any other comments on these minutes? Okay, we'll open it up to the public. If you'd like to speak on the meeting minutes from February 28th, 2022, please raise your hand. Uh, I don't see any speakers, correct? Yeah, there are no public speakers in this time. Okay, we'll close the public comment period for uh, that item 8A. Uh, is there any board discussion motion? Yeah, or, uh, Vice President Reese. I move to. Uh, approve the meeting minutes as amended. Okay. I'll second. Okay, board members, sisters, you heard? Did you I'll second. second. Okay. I just seconded. Okay. Yeah, sorry. All right, let's go ahead and take a vote. Cisneros? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. Sahaba? Aye. Rothenberg? Aye. Ha? Aye. And Teague. Abstain. So that carries five votes and one abstention. Okay, let's go to the 
next minutes uh, from the planning board meeting of March 14th, 2022. Does anyone have any comments or clarifications? Uh, board member T. Yeah, um, Alan, what happened? I asked for it to be elaborated on the no net loss and I don't see that change. Was that not updated? Okay. No. no. We can go back and um, add that back in. Can we defer Sorry. this? Do we have to have public comment? I suppose we do. Yeah. Okay. If there's no other comments, we'll open it up for public comment. Uh, are there anyone, if you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hand. Okay, seeing that no one's raised their hand, we'll close that. Uh, period. Oh, board, board member T. Yeah, I, I would like to, um, hope the word is escaping me, continue this to the next meeting so that the, the document can be updated. Okay. Uh, so there's motions just to continue it. I don't know. Do we need a second or should we just continue it? Uh, I think you should do a second and vote to continue this, right? Uh, may staff also just make a, a comment about minutes in general per the board's bylaws as adopted. I think minutes are generally supposed to capture sort of the essence of the discussion and the actions taken by the board. I know over the years we've gotten very detailed and I think that's just because we have a very excellent staff person who's doing our minutes. Um, but I, I also just want to the board to be mindful about how much effort we spend into, I mean, these aren't transcripts of the meeting. So um, if, if you feel like we, the no, for example, the no net loss discussion, I think that's important. We could go back and, and modify it, but also just want the board to be mindful about minutes, Alan, not the if transcripts. it wasn't, I view this as an important item. The other ones, less so. This particular one, because it is a difficult concept. Sure. And we should capture it. That that I absolutely agree. So important points, absolutely, but also just general comment about ensuring that we're not we're not trying to steer the minutes to become uh, meeting transcripts. So thank you, appreciate that. Okay, well I I can second the motion to continue the minutes to uh, the next meeting. Uh, why don't we just take a vote, Al? Cisneros. Hi. Breeze. Aye. Sahaba? Aye. Rothenberg? Aye. Hom? Aye. T. Aye. Okay, so we're, we're going to uh, update the minutes, clarify the note that last section, and then bring those back to the board. Okay, the next minutes are from the planning board meeting Monday, March 28th, 2022. Uh, does anyone have any comments? Um, these minutes before we open up for public. No? Okay, seeing no comments. Um, if you'd like to speak on these minutes, please raise your hand. Seeing that no one is raising their hand, we'll close the public comment period. And we can go ahead and make a motion. Would anyone like to make a motion? I'll move to approve. Okay, board member Rothenberg. I second. Okay, Vice President Reese. Uh, let's take a vote out. Board Member Cisneros. 
Aye. Breeze. Aye. President Sahaba. Abstain. Uh, board Member Rothenberg. Aye. Board Member Hom. Aye. And Board Member Teague. Aye. Great. So that passes. Okay. And Board Member Teague, sorry about the uh, the no that loss revision. I remember you had brought it up that previous meeting. We'll go back and fix it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, staff communications. Um, anything on 9A or 9B? Oral report, future public meetings. Uh, on 9B, uh, if I could just jump in, um, as Director Thomas explained earlier, uh, over the next couple of months, we'll work on the zoning text amendments, hoping to bring that forward. Um, other than that, uh, we may have one or two design review projects that might come before the board, but uh, otherwise no, no major development projects um, being teed up. So I think in June and July, we're, staff is mainly focused on um, refining the text amendments for the housing element. And then um, if I have one more, uh, the, the uh, remember take your question about the AMC and the call for review process, if, if we would like to uh, just look at that really briefly, let me share my screen and bring up the code section. So what you're looking at on the screen is the section this, uh, that covers the call for review process. Um, and in this case, uh, a call for review under C here says that shall be filed with the department our department is now planning building transportation and shall state the reasons or justifications for the call for reviews. So that was what I was referring to um, at that previous meeting. Thanks, so 3025.x. Uh, yes, 30-25.4c. Yep. Uh, yes, yep. uh, I'll go read it later, thanks. Thank you. And what we've done in the past, uh, just for the board to know, is um, staff, the, the call for review would be made at the meeting and then staff, uh, I remember doing this, but uh, I would follow up with the board member calling the item for review, asking for the written justification. And that's how it's happened in the past. But just to clarify, mm -hmm. if, I, if I could, since I, I, if memory serves me, it was in regard to my last call for review. So relative to this, requirement, at least in my, in my term, uh, we made the call for review verbally at the meeting when the, when the agenda item came up. And so I made the call and then um, uh, um, Alan Ty brought up to me in our telephone call that it should be submitted in writing. So I just like to clarify, and I did that. And, and, um, uh, actually, I, I uh, reversed it in my, um, I think I've submitted two written requests to you, one to reverse a request and one to give you a justification. But just to clarify, reading it, so when the board members prepare for the meeting, they would then still make a verbal call for review and then would submit to you the written, or would they submit to you the written before the board meeting? I, I think either way works. Uh, um, Member Rothenberg, as you described it, how you've done it previously with the verbal and then follow up with the written, I think that that works fine. Um, it, it actually gives 
us an opportunity to kind of understand the the reason for the call for review, and 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 um, mainly the the reason why the code is written that way, with the written justification. This. So, so that the applicants understand for consideration, you know, and, and also be able, I think that's how the call for review process is set up. Okay. Thank you. Uh, no other than that, no other, uh, yeah, sorry. No other staff communications. Thank you. Okay, no, there's no written communications, board communications. Uh, would any board members like to speak um, for any uh, brief announcements or otherwise? I wanted to ask about uh, the continuity of the Zoom meetings. Quite honestly, if it serves the public, and I think it does, and we were able to continue to do them virtually like this, I think it optimizes our time and the staff time and makes it accessible to members of the public who might not be able to come at night, but that's just my take after doing business for a couple of years, including several nonprofit board roles. So I wanted to ask the question, since I looked at the agendas and they're not all virtual, there are, it looks like there are some meetings that are happening in place. So um, could you, if you would take that under consideration and can you give us an update about the status of the virtuals? Yeah, Board Member Rothenberg, um, can't agree with you more. I, th I think during the the you know time that we've had these meetings on Zoom, we've seen you know a huge turnout. Um, tonight, I think there were over thirty participants, consistently over thirty participants at these meetings over the housing element. I don't remember seeing that many people live when we were in the in the council chambers consistently. So um, now, the, just to answer your question about the termination of whether the meetings continue on Zoom. Um, so I believe the first council meetings of the month. So the next one being in June, city council will have on their agenda consideration of whether to continue having meetings via Zoom. And at the council meeting earlier this month, I heard the council say that, uh, or actually I heard, I heard the city clerk say that they're actually reviewing the technology that would enable um, public meetings to occur in hybrid format so that you know the board would be in the chambers while it's also available via Zoom and people could um, try, uh, 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 log in to the meeting via Zoom. So I think that's under works. So I would, think that, you know, maybe later this summer or after the summer recess in August that um, we may going into a hybrid mode. So, but that's my speculation based on that discussion um, earlier this month. I would just, I would just add, I just have to say this, that as a, as a, as a merit of consideration for equity, diversity, and inclusion, the, the virtual format is a, is a, um, it, it extends our ability to do that, not just for ourselves, but for all others of all other abilities. So I hope, I'm sure that our um, very capable, uh, thoughtful and sensitive city council will take that under consideration too. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay. Any anything else from anyone? No. All right. Um, we'll close that item. Oral communications. Anyone may address the board on a topic not on the agenda under this item uh, by raising your hand. Or is there anyone in the public who'd like to speak? Uh, doesn't look like any hands are raised. So we'll close that and we'll adjourn the meeting. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Bye.